everybody. Welcome once again to our series in the first book of Thessalonians. Wonderful book written by Paul, one of the earliest books of the New Testament, and a real book to find encouragement and general teaching about the Christian life. So welcome to this study, and I look forward to spending this time with you. Today we turn to the second chapter of First Thessalonians, and we read from verse 7. Let me read this passage, and then we shall make some important comments from it. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So, affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you should walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. What a wonderful passage and it's worthy of our meditation. But just to recap a little, to get the context, we have noted thus far that Paul's ministry at Thessaloniki was not in vain, as it brought forth the fruit of salvation in the lives of many in the city. He and his apostolic band were sent out from the church at Antioch with the blessing of the leaders there and that of the Holy Spirit. His missionary trip was therefore God-inspired and therefore, in a sense, couldn't fail. That's an important lesson for us. What God begins, he finishes. What God commissions, he provides for. The Thessalonians turned, we are told, from their idols and their sins to serve God by Jesus Christ and to await his second coming. Moreover, their testimony in this regard impacted the whole region, we are told, by Paul. Paul was thus proud of them and gives them an overview of his commitment to God, the preaching of the word of God, and to them. He is a genuine servant of Jesus seeking only to glorify him through his life and ministry. And therefore he seeks nothing from them save their growing in Christ and their love for one another. Our insight then into Paul's character and dedication to Christ is therefore a challenge to all those who would follow Christ in ministry and to those who already do. This little passage gives us an insight 
into the nature of the call of God, the servant of God, his credentials and his engagement with the flock of God. It is such a crucial chapter for those in the ministry and for those who aspire to be called into it. In these verses, therefore, now before us, he continues to express his feelings for them and commitment to them by reminding them of what he did do when he was with them and not what he didn't do as in the previous passage. So now he's turning from telling them what he did do. He, first of all, in our previous study, reminds them of what he didn't do. But now he gives us an insight into his ministry and the ethic by which he followed through with it. It is very important. So here we see the heart of a true shepherd of God's flock. And this should serve as a template for all those who would also follow this calling. Actually, every aspiring ministry candidate should be instructed from these passages as they reveal the true nature of our calling. And it's worth noting that this chapter is then a record of Paul's legacy. The curtain is sort of drawn back on Paul's private life, something not too easily seen in his other letters. And we get a glimpse of what drove the man of God and what motivated his engagement with the people of God. This great servant of Jesus is in every respect worthy of following, just as he himself also encourages us to do in other parts of the word of God. So we should consequently take note of the manner in which he engaged the believers at Thessaloniki. That's the important thing about this study. How did he engage them? What did he do? So the first thing we note is he loved them as a mother would love her own children. He says that in chapter 2 and verse 7, we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. This actually means that Paul took a personal interest in everyone and cared about them. I've seen all through the years that Jesus greatly blesses a congregation where the leaders care for God's flock. Too often leaders only want the people to fill seats in their sanctuaries and nothing more. Consequently, the people of God are left alienated from them and struggling with many spiritual challenges. Every congregation, and I mean that, every congregation should have properly ordained and trained shepherds who are always among the sheep and know them by name. By them, the flock of God should be taught what the Bible calls the milk of God's word, by which they can grow strong, having well understood 
the first principles of their faith and of what it means to be a Christ follower. We find these first principles set out for us in the book of Hebrews. And I like to read them to you. Hebrews chapter 6, and we read just two verses. And that is verse 1 and 2. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. Those doctrines, says the writer, are the first principles of Christ. And these must be built into the lives of God's children. This is what the Bible calls the milk of the word. And Paul came amongst them as a mother would cherish her own children and made sure that they were grounded in the foundations that would make them strong. So many Christians today have no knowledge or understanding of these important foundational truths. Do you? That's the challenge. Secondly, he loved them with a passion that drove him to do anything for them. It's interesting. He loved them with a passion that drove him to do anything for them. And therefore, he says in verse 8, So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. He loved them in a manner that he imparted his very life to them. Love will enable one to go to any lengths to help another. That's the truth of God's word. God so loved the world. It was that love that drove him to do anything to help us. And what he did because of his love was to die for us on the cross. What a wonderful reminder of what love is. Love will enable one to go to any lengths to help another. When I fell in love with Cheryl, my wife now of nearly 50 years, and the girl of my dreams, I would cycle 12 miles to see her for 30 minutes and then cycle the same 12 miles home again. Crazy, eh? The question is, what made me do this? Only love for her put my feet to the pedals. That's the only thing that drove me, something in my heart that would do anything for her. And we are to love God's children like this. This is what Paul says about a minister. 
This is how we love God's children. We impart our very lives to them. Paul imparted his life to the Thessalonians. For him, Christianity was not all about preaching and teaching and a platform, but about giving one's time and resources to help the people of God grow. This, my friends, is true love. This, my friends, is the work of the ministry. And then thirdly, he loved them unconditionally. We have this remarkable statement. He says, you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to you. We preach to you the gospel of God. Paul raised his own financial support as a tent maker. You can read about that in Acts chapter 18 and verse 3. And in this way, he was able to love them without any strings attached. There was nothing they could give him. There was nothing that he wanted from them. This being true, the Thessalonians knew for certain that he genuinely loved them, seeking nothing in return. Paul served Jesus, his Lord, by giving them the message of eternal life, as he says in Corinthians, without cost. And every servant of God, if possible, should do the same. It's the principle, it's the attitude that counts. However, even as Paul acknowledges, if this cannot be so, then the servant of God should be well cared for financially by ruling elders who set his salary within a context of accountability and transparency so that once again, the servant of God is above reproach in this all-important and vital area of ministry. And it's Paul himself in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 9 that sets this out. Let me read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 and 11. We'll begin at verse 9 to get the context. For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. So Paul loved them unconditionally. That actually is the principle. Every servant of God, whether he is remunerated or not, whether he makes tents or is salaried by the local church, should make it as an aim that he is totally above reproach in this area so that the people of God know that this man 
really loves us. Thank God for people and ministers like that. And fourthly, he loved them by the impartation of his ministry. He says this, you are witnesses in God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. The gifts that Jesus gave Paul, he used to help the believers by way of constant encouragement and example. He knew that he had a stewardship from heaven and he employed everything that God gave him for the blessing of the people of God. His whole life was like that. He actually patterned Christ before them and behaved with constant integrity. And more than that, in this passage, he actually says, God can bear witness to this. That's quite a statement. God can bear witness to what I'm saying. My ministry was employed only for the benefit and the blessing of the flock of God. Nothing less, nothing more. We need shepherds like this. You know, in recent years, many well-known preachers have failed and have been made to stand down from their ministries because of it. The harm that this does to the body of Christ is immeasurable as it brings the church into disrepute, causes many people, even weak Christians, to stumble, and most of all, dishonors Christ before the world, harms our message, gives the impression even the leaders of this gospel cannot walk it out. The leaders set over God's flock then carry a sacred trust. And this has to be brought home more than ever before. They carry a sacred trust and must seek to follow Paul's example. This passage needs to be burned into their hearts and lives. They must be trained, approved, and then properly set before the people of God by prayer and fasting. They must be designated, set aside, as the ministry gifts of Ephesians 4, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, elders and deacons, as scripture actually teaches. In recent years, so many congregations, so many leaders have abandoned the biblical pattern in this respect. But it remains the inspired word of God. And it's there for our protection. And then fifthly, he loved them with a goal in mind that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul knew that he must constantly lay before them 
the end game. That is, we live with the knowledge that we are destined upon our deaths to enter into the glorious and eternal kingdom of God. When we gave our hearts to Christ, this is what he called us to, that we would be worthy of that glorious kingdom of righteousness. We should have this before us all the time. As many who once embraced it have actually turned back to the world. Or as Paul says in his letters to Timothy, made shipwreck of their faith. You can read that in 1 Timothy chapter 1, 18 to 20. Jesus reminded us that those who endure to the end will be saved. You can read that in Matthew 24 and verse 13. And Peter, in his epistle, his second epistle, reminds us that imposters and fake Christians will infiltrate our communities and even become Christian leaders. That's quite a thing. Imposters, fake Christians, and those that just give up will infiltrate our communities and even lead them. You can read that in Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3 and verses 12. To 17. Paul had this desire that he would love them because they knew that they had a destiny, that they would walk worthy of God who calls them into his own kingdom and glory. The glory there is not some type of atmosphere. The glory there actually is the character of God. God calls us into his kingdom and by Jesus Christ into his character. We must press on day by day, making good the call of God over our lives. In Second Peter chapter 1, and verse 10, the apostle echoes this very same thought when he says in verses 8 to get the context down to 10, For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. This is Malcolm Heading.